Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is late. It is 12.15 p.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 5th of April, 2021. This is episode 394 of Bitcoin and Michael Saylor buys more Bitcoin. How did you think this shit was going to start? Dude, MicroStrategy has purchased an additional 253 Bitcoin for $15 million in cash at an average price of $59,339 per Bitcoin as of... The 5th of April, 2021, we hodled 91,579 Bitcoin acquired for $2.226 billion USD at an average price of $24,311 per Bitcoin. The guy is cleaning up. He can even buy like a little bit on the top side and and lose as we saw over the last you know over this weekend this this constant roller coaster that's keeping us between 57 and 59,000 dollars and the dude is still banking the living shit out of this stuff man i mean he's like he's up phenomenally well i mean for like 20 his average aggregate cost is 24,000 dollars a coin and it's sitting around i don't know wherever it is right now 58 I haven't looked at the price before I began the show. I just got off from a walk. So now that that particular part is done, I'm always looking forward to Michael uh, to uh, Sailor telling us what's going on. Jameson Lop is also telling us that Bitcoin.com, the domain name, is up for sale at a hundred million dollars. That's right, a hundred million dollars. It seems that Roger Ver has put Bitcoin.com up for sale. Now, here's, here's the thing. Knowing Roger and the way he operates, I don't think he has any intention of selling the domain name. This is a theory that I have. It's, you know, if, if I'm wrong, hey, you know, whatever. I think he's trying, he's in his Rogery way, is trying to send a message that Bitcoin is up for sale. That that the lizard people have sold sold us all out for whatever freaking reason. I don't know. But it wouldn't surprise me if Michael Saylor didn't make an offer of $100 million or, or well, maybe like try to haggle, maybe $75 million or, yeah, something like that, um, and, and get the domain name. But the problem is, is that if I am wrong and Bitcoin.com domain is up for sale, it's one of the most it's it's one of the most worthwhile you know brands that you can get your hands on so if somebody does buy it and roger does sell the domain name who is going to buy it is it going to be some some idiot like kim.com see this is the thing i'm not looking at the demise of roger going because some people are, are are thinking that he needs cash infusion no this in my opinion this shit is much more sinister whatever um speaking of sinister when you have to live through you know 14 percent discount on gbtc and grayscale you're gonna want to you're gonna want to get into another car and that's exactly what it looks like barry silbert is about to do this is out of corn corn desk that's right corn desk kevin reynolds our corn farmer is going to tell us all about grayscale says that it is 100 committed to converting gbtc into an ETF. Who told you that shit last two weeks? Me, I did. I was the one who was saying it, that they were 100% gonna convert to an ETF. Not that that was that hard of a signal to pick up on, but let's figure this one out. In a blog post, the world's largest digital asset manager confirmed its intent in the wake of its recent filing with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission to offer an ETF. Quote, first and foremost, We wish to make it clear we are 100% committed to converting GBTC into an ETF, Grayscale said in the post. 
New York-based Grayscale is owned by Digital Currency Group, which is the parent company of Coindesk, which is that's their dis that's their disclaimer. The U.S. approval of a Bitcoin ETF has remained one of the white whales of the crypto industry, with the SEC rejecting dozens of applications over the recent years. Some industry observers see an ETF, which provides traditional investors with access to BTC without having to hold the asset itself, as a potential game changer. And you know, again, the fact that it's been running at a 14% discount. Uh, it just doesn't work for, for, for Barry. Now, don't you worry about Barry. Even if the ETF conversion doesn't occur because the SEC denies it, you know, they've only got a stack of like, I think this is going to be the 10th one that's on their desk for review. He's still going to be able to, he's still going to be picking up 2% commission fees or, or custody fees or whatever you want to call it. So, and he's made a boatload of money off of this thing in the first place. So I wouldn't worry about Barry. Also, I don't worry about the price of Bitcoin. I'm honestly, I'm just too, I'm too exhausted. <laughs> now the FATF is loading the gun. Continuously expanding the surveillance on financial transactions has no place in Bitcoin. It looks like this was written by UTXOXO for BitcoinMagazine.com on paper. The Financial Action Task Force was created more than 30 years ago by G7 countries to fight organized criminal and narcotic financial flows. The intergovernmental organization describes itself as, as a dynamic contributor to peace and security. <laughs> Bullshit. And issues recommendations that most countries transpose into national laws. In practice, it's a totally different story than just laudable intentions with limited effects on society. The FATF can decide to arbitrarily place jurisdictions on gray and black list, which has the effect of putting certain countries under immense financial pressures or even cutting them off from the global financial system almost entirely. The root of all existing bureaucracy in the finance industry these days is the the fruit of dozens of standards and guidelines published by the FATF that are updated on a regular basis. The FATF even went so far as to publish recommendations for counter-terrorist financing rules that have been interpreted and implemented by national governments and banks in a way which has delayed aid and put NGO, that's non-governmental organizations, staff at greater security risk in some countries. The FATF will always talk about how drug dealers and cyber criminals are misusing the financial system to serve their own ends, but never will you hear any serious questioning on loss of financial privacy, financial exclusion, and the administrative costs their standards impose to all members of society. Given its track record, it is a surprise to no one that the organization spent the last few years gathering ammunition and has started aiming at a new target of choice, Bitcoin, or what they call virtual assets, and the ecosystem around it, e.g. what they refer to as virtual assets service providers or VASPs. Cash has always been given the worst reputation by the anti-money anti laundering experts. It is only logical that electronic cash without rulers was never going to get away with it. And the most recent public consultation launched by the FATF is here to prove it. Non-elected officials are becoming increasingly worried that money is becoming as frictionless as communication is. And more importantly, they have no ability to control or censor financial flaws at will. Instead of having local law enforcement agencies prosecuting bad actors when a crime has been committed, the FATF has been pushing for our society to become one of surveillance, control, and censorship by having governments around the world weaponize the financial system, forcing institutions to spy on customers and scrutinize every transaction, even without any legitimate concern whatsoever. Quote, but if it helps catch criminals, the trillions of dollars spent every year by all actors of society subject, subject to any money laundering laws uh, have to be worth it, right? One may ask, three simple questions should help this in context. One, we, where, where, uh, were know your customer measures proven effective at detecting bad actors trying to utilize bank accounts? Two, are anti-money laundering laws stopping a significant percentage of illicit fiat money from entering the financial system? And the third question, how efficacious are counterterrorism financing measures when it comes to deterring actual terrorists from actually financing themselves? The answers are obvious. It doesn't take any special skill to open an account with a fake passport, 
forge documents with software and lie about the true purpose of one's financial transactions. It must once and for all be acknowledged that criminal behavior is not prevented by hundreds of guidances and laws, but by incentive systems that are naturally provided in a sound money society with less government. Recent analysis demonstrate the benefits versus cost ratio of anti-money laundering has been going in one direction only. It's not effective, guys. It's, it's literally, it's not effective at all. The evidence cannot be disputed. Yet more AML requirements are popping up around the world every year. This trend is very similar to the way central banks handled quantitative easing, pouring gasoline on the fire. That is the problem. Now, pause and think. The introduction of central bank digital currencies is planned to be the final assault on cash. And we are we to believe paper money will be eradicated from the streets while there would be no parallel attempts to restrict digital peer-to-peer -peer transactions or at least make it as impractical as possible? Let's not be naive. The transfer of information between exchanges on the senders and beneficiaries of a transaction, aka the travel rule, is only the start of something much bigger. The ultimate goal of the FATF and various policymakers is an attempt at absolute control, and it should be expected that they will defend their positions with fierceness and stubbornness, and probably some weaponry, just to be fair. In recent years, Bitcoiners have had to learn to deal with draconian KYC measures and chain surveillance. These are enabled by software developed by members of the private sector who are financially incentivized to push for more regulation. The coming reality will be an even harder pill to swallow if the FATF is successful in making transactions from exchanges to private wallets impractical or even a thing of the past. AML experts are also calling for further steps, saying things such as, quote, regulators should require merchants to place transaction volume limits on payments received from self-custodied wallets. Oh my God, really? End quote. And according to a Forbes article, quote, users could still keep custody of their private keys, but would connect their crypto addresses to their real world identity that could be uncovered by a court ordered subpoena. End quote. Even if new significant regulations and restrictions are inevitably rolled out in the course of this decade, the only way to avoid being impacted is by making the choice to depend less on trusted third parties and actively participate in the Bitcoin circular economy today. There are trade-offs to not walking down the KYC path, mostly in terms of user experience and liquidity. But the feeling of resilience that comes with trading directly with peers is liberating. This decade will consist of decisive battles, and even if Bitcoin is bulletproof technology, the FATF knows the only way to undermine this movement is to try to overregulate the gatekeepers and disgust the users into eventually making them capitulate. We shall not let their acronyms define us, nor the influence the way or nor influence the way we choose to hold our money or transact. Choosing Bitcoin should always be the equivalent of choosing freedom. And no one organization should be given the possibility to change that. The time to start pushing back is now. Woo, that was a long one. You know who is pushing back? My good buddy, Untapped Growth, who is on John's podcast. Oh, God, it should be so much better at this. Hold on for a second. John Vicalis, uh, you know, I'm so, Bitcoin rapid fire, okay? Now, I don't think that he's actually loaded the, the I'm, I'm, yep, Decentralized Grazing is the name of that one. Okay, so it's uh, Bitcoin Rapid Fire. It's going to be two hours long. It's called Decentralized Grazing, Regenerative Cattle Co-ops, and the Foundations of Bitcoin Citadels. I've listened to most of it, probably about an hour and a, a hour and a half of it, and it's fire. The Bitcoin circular economy needs to occur, and and Untapped Growth is is helping that shit move along. All right, he's helping it move along. It's it. You got to listen to the episode, okay? I, after I do my show, I'm going to take another walk and, and finish it up. But I wanted to make sure that you knew that Untapped Growth is over on John's uh, Bitcoin Rapid Fire podcast today. Go listen to it and start to understand what the possibilities of Bitcoin unlocks. It ain't just, the whole notion of buying a fucking Lamborghini is laughable. It's actually laughable. If that's why you're in this thing, well, hell, then just stay in the fiat world and go, I don't know, Go shitcoin or something and get your, your Lamborghini that cost $50,000 to have the timing chains reset. 
If that, if you want to incur that kind of ongoing cost, brother, be my guest. Otherwise, watch what, or, or go listen to the episode and hear what real wealth actually is. It sure as shit isn't in fee labs. They raised $1.3 billion for decentralized stablecoin, and now the investors are stuck. I could have told you, nobody ever listens to me, man. I, I try, I, I tell people to stay away as far away from this DeFi junk as possible for now, because it's all nothing but rug pulls. Here we go. Tim Hockey is going to tell us about it from Decrypt, the Genesis launch of Fee Labs stablecoin. Fee is spelled F E I. It may be pronounced Fay. I'm not sure. The stablecoin protocol on Saturday raised 639,000 Ethereum or $1.3 billion. That's billion with a B at the time of writing. This launch has been described by some analysts as the biggest launch in DeFi history, but the token design makes it far easier to plug funds into the protocol's ecosystem than it does to withdraw them. That should send up red flags everywhere, guys. The money was donated by over 17,000 members of Fee's Genesis Group, who will be the earliest adopters of the new Fee protocol, which is now minting stable coins pegged to the United States dollar. However, the current price of Fee, F-E-I, is 88 cents, and 20 hours prior, it was $1.26. Good job on that stable coin, ladies and gentlemen. Like other stablecoin protocols such as DAI, Fay's method of pricing at stablecoin is algorithmic. The difference is that its PEG, which is called PCV or protocol controlled value, maintains the price balance by acting as an automated central bank, selling off and buying back tokens as needed to maintain its $1 price. To ensure that the protocol has the means to buy back those tokens, it requires some underlying assets. And in this case, it's cold, hard, uh, <coughs> ETH, hard, <laughs> it's, not, it's not hard money. But anyway, cold, hard ETH as collateral. This is where fees Genesis launch comes in. Should demand for fee fall in the price plummet, the Ethereum required from the launch will go towards buying back tokens to take the price of fee back to a dollar. There are also disincentive mechanisms in place to penalize trading beyond the $1 price. Right now, traders who attempt to sell fee at its current price will incur huge fees. Oh, again, red flags everywhere. Considering that fee now trades far below its $1 peg, a lot of traders who intend to sell are holding out in fears of getting penalized. This makes the circumstances of the launch oddly favorable for the fee protocol and a bit of a calamity for the investors. Put simply, the fee protocol wasn't built to anticipate the demand of its Genesis launch. Investors likely piled into the protocol hoping for quick returns, only to find that the coin instantly depreciated in value, lumbering them with a coin trading far under its peg. It's well, it's a lot of investment too. Some of the biggest investors in the protocol include Coinbase. Good, I hope you lose your ass, bitches. American venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz, again, hope you lose your asses, and DeFi VC firm Framework, hope you lose your asses, whose venture fund last month raised $300 million in capital. Investing in decentralized finance projects can be a risky business. <laughs> can? I think you spelled is wrong, bro. Even if you understand how the protocol works, tricky investments are everywhere. The, your money might be locked in a labyrinth of a complicated protocol or worse in the hands of criminals, take the Turtle Dex rug pull at the end of last month. Turtle Dex arrived on the scene promising a DeFi project to securely store files and data online. The project's presale raised 9,000 BNB tokens in just two hours, which at the time were worth $2.4 million. Then the liquidity pools for the project over on ApeSwap and PancakeSwap were quickly drained and converted to Ethereum and sent into Binance wallets. It's not confirmed whether the developers are behind it, but that TurtleDex's online presence has since been completely removed indicates that the possibility is not so far-fetched. The Meerkat finance scam was another inside job last month. Meerkat's developers stole $31 million, then promptly returned the funds after Telegram user named Jamboo created a group called Meer, was it Meerkat 
refunds. Yeah, Meerkat refunds identified themselves as a Meerkat developer and confessed to angry investors that the whole thing was a test. Yeah, right. There, there's wisdom in, in, in cliches or there, uh, there wouldn't be any cliches. If something looks like it's too good to be true, it is too good to be true. Also, see, there's no such thing as free money and do your own research. Guys, stay as far away from this shit as you can. I, 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 I am literally unenticed by anything these morons have to offer. Every new DeFi project that pops up, it immediately registers on me as scam. Scam. Now, somebody, and I can't remember who, on a podcast talking about GameStop, started suggesting that maybe GameStop should just sell some more stock, like literally create it, print the money, and sell stock. It looks like that's what GameStop is, has announced that they're going to do as of this morning. Helen Parts is writing this part, or this piece for Cointelegraph. GME drops 14% as GameStop announces plans to sell up to 3.5 million shares. So, GameStop Corporation, an American gaming and consumer electronics retailer, has announced its plans to sell up to 3.5 million GME shares following the stock's massive and controversial rally. The firm announced on Monday that it has filed a prospective supplement with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission under which it may offer and sell up to 3.5 million shares of GME stock via at, via an at-the-market, or ATM, equity offering program. GameStop said that its total global sales increased nearly 11% for the nine-week period ending April 3rd, 2021. Dude, people started shopping at GameStop again. That... I did not expect that. I, I honestly didn't. GameStop noted that its common stock will be offered through American multinational independent investment bank Jefferies Group, which will serve as the sales agent. The firm said that the Jefferies uh, said that Jefferies may sell common stocks by any lawful method deemed to be an ATM offering as defined by, and then they give this long rule number, or whatever. GameStop emphasized that the offering is strongly capped at 3.5 million shares, stating, quote, in no event will the company sell more than 3,500,000 shares of common stock under the ATM offering and aggregate gross proceeds will not exceed $1 billion. There will be no sale of common stock in any jurisdiction that it would be unlawful to do so, end quote. The firm intends to use the proceeds from the ATM offering sales to further accelerate its transformation as well as for general corporate purposes and further strengthening its balance sheet. Better buy Bitcoin, bitches. The timing and amount of any sales will be determined by a variety of factors considered by the company, GameStop added. Following the announcement, the GMC or GME stock tumbled more than 14 to $164 at the time of writing, according to data from MarketWatch. By initiating the ATM offering, GameStop reportedly wants to take advantage of the stock price surge following the Reddit-driven short squeeze that pumped GME to above $370 in late January 2021 from $20 earlier that month. As previously reported by Cointelegraph, GameStop's short squeeze caused serious issues for some trading platforms. Yeah, I know, we, we remember all that. So here's the takeaway. They're going to print up more shares and they're going to sell them on the market. When that news hit, their stock fell by 14%, which is exactly what is to be expected. However, I did not expect that they were actually going to show better sales as of April 3rd, 2021. Mind-boggling. It's just mind-boggling, as is the IRS's need for cracking customer details and a federal judge pushing back. Well, let's find out if it's a good boy. It looks like this is written by Jeff Benson out of uh, Decrypt. The Department of Justice Tax Division this week filed a court request to obtain information about customers of the San Francisco-based cryptocurrency exchange Kraken. The so-called John Doe summons filed in the United States District Court for the Northern District of California asks Kraken to provide account details for all American taxpayers who have held at least $20,000 in cryptocurrency on the exchange at any point in time from 2016 to 2020. So if you were just, hey guys, if you were just small fry back then and you may have like maybe had like a couple of Bitcoin 
and or uh, like like me in my case i had like i think i had like 25 ethereum because i was still actually thinking that there was something there and i sold it just market sold it for bitcoin i didn't even try to get i didn't try to to work the system i just fucking sold it, it you know at the time definitely below twenty thousand dollars now i murdered that trade i murdered the living shit out of that trade and yet when i did it it didn't look like i was murdering a trade and now i'm like shit i don't even have to worry about these assholes judge joseph spiro isn't ready to authorize this request which would cover registration details and transaction history unless the government justifies it judge spiro stated that the irs quote must specifically address why each category of information sought is narrowly tailored to the IRS's investigative needs, including whether requests for more invasive and all-encompassing categories of information could be deferred until after the IRS has reviewed basic account registration information and transaction histories, end quote. A John Doe summons is a tool the Internal Revenue Service can use to conduct investigations when it doesn't know the name or identity of a taxpayer. A judge can approve the summons, provided that there's a reasonable basis to presume a group of people may have broken tax laws and such information isn't accessible by other means. Uh, yesterday, the Department of Justice announced that it had, had obtained authorization to serve a summons against Circle Internet Financial, which partners with Coinbase on the USDC stablecoin. The summons also applies to trading platform Poloniex, which Circle bought in 2018 and which subsequently spun off from the company. Such requests are hardly new for cryptocurrency exchanges. In 2016, the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of California approved a John Doe summons on Coinbase. But Coinbase customers and, and Coinbase filed several motions to throw out the ruling before Coinbase ultimately agreed to turn over customer records from a group of approximately 13,000 customers in 2018. A spokesperson for Kraken told Decrypt, quote, Kraken has not received a summons for client records. Kraken complies with the legal and regulatory requirements in all jurisdictions that we operate in. We carefully review all regulatory inquiries and provide responses in due course, end quote. That's suit speak for cover my ass, but they're coming. And, we, and it's not like this is a surprise and it's going to get worse. It is. Be prepared for it. Circular economy, people, circular economy, you know. If the one thing that's safe about Bitcoin as it touches the fiat world is that they have nothing to say if you take straight cash and you buy straight Bitcoin. The problem comes in when you offload that Bitcoin, if you, especially if you're a trader or supposedly if I'd send you like a dollar, like through a lightning, like a, you know, uh, a lightning channel, I'm supposed to pay taxes on that dollar. Dude, I'm not going to do that. I'm just not. I mean, honestly, I can't keep up with how many lightning wallets I have. I don't know what, I don't even know how to get the information off of it. And, and honestly, they're not going to throw you in jail for a buck. Now, they, they might, they might under this, under this particular circumstance. They want to scare the bejesus out, out of everybody. And they might do that. But over a dollar, how's that going to play? How, honestly, how's that going to play in public? You shot them over a dollar? My God. Thugs on the street have better sense than to at least get $100 before they off somebody and steal their life and, and their property. You know, be better. Honestly, be better. Do better. Where are we at? Okay, no blood coin for Kevin O'Leary. Yeah, it's because he doesn't know how this shit works. As the investor takes stand on a Bitcoin energy consumption, Greg Thompson tells us about Kevin's little meltdown here from Cointelegraph. Blood coin, clean coin, and maybe even virgin coin will become commonplace phrases as Bitcoin's environmental concerns continue to rage. Shark Tank and Dragon Den personality Kevin O'Leary is taking a stand against what he terms blood coin. That being Bitcoin mined in China. We'll come back to that. Don't worry. The investor declared that he would only deal with clean coin. Coins mined using renewable energy from now on and suggested other institutions start doing the same. This, the, the, the ignorance here on display is breathtaking. O'Leary took aim at the freewheeling nature of Bitcoin production by pointing out that most other products in the world are manufactured according to institutional and regulatory compliance standards. 
like putting nets around Foxconn to stop people from plunging to their goddamn suicide initiated deaths because working conditions are like slave labor. Yeah, yeah, bullshit. It's all bullshit, people. O'Leary said during an interview with CNBC, quote, we have compliance on large institutions. We have covenants on how assets are made, whether carbon is burned, whether there are human rights involved, whether it's made in China, end quote. I'm gonna stop there. You don't need to know anything else about what Kevin O'Leary knows or thinks he knows because it's clear that he's wrong. Why am I saying this? Kevin, listen to me very closely. You cannot tell if a coin was mined in China. You can't do that. You can and you can't. In most of the cases, you can't. Why? Because mining pools. If a mining pool is just a website that you connect your miners to, and it is, those miners could be anywhere. You're not going to know 100% of the time. You're not gonna know 10% of the time what geographical location of the world the actual coin was mined in, dude. You're not gonna know. So this entire argument falls apart. I don't know what Kevin's trying to do. I think he's trying to get like play footsie and, and like date the cute little environmental girl. I don't know. I don't know what he's doing because what he's suggesting isn't going to happen. You're not going to know. You can know Virgin coin that you can know. You can trace it back to a Coinbase transaction when a, when a block was mined, but you'll never know where it was mined. Not unless somebody straight up gives you the wallet address and, and proves and, and for whatever reason, wants to tell you where they're geographically located and where those coins actually came from. But that's going to come from the miner themselves. Nobody else can get that information. The miner themselves basically has to unzip their fly and show the world is dong and not a miner worth their salt in the world is going to do that. First of all, why, who gives a sh You know, Kevin, fuck off. Let's run the numbers. Boy, oil market's taking a bath today. Now, these are not futures. This is what's currently occurring in the market. Why? Because I'm late enough in the day that the markets are actually open. Generally speaking, I do this start, start my whole day at five o'clock in the morning. Today was not that day. So we have live prices for everything today. Let's start with the markets, the major indices. Everything is up. Everything's in the green. Everybody wins. S&P 500 up 1.42%, NASDAQ up 1.59, Dow Jones up 1.15, FTSE is up 0.35, Nikkei is up 0.79, Hang Seng is up almost two points, Shanghai is up 0.52, the volatility index cracking, cracking up 5.71%. Damn, and now here's here's the, the, the bad news. If you're into oil, 5.21% to the downside for West Texas Intermediate. 5.31 to the downside on natural gas. I mean, dude, fuck it. We are sub $60 oil people. Why? Probably because OPEC decided that they're going to increase production because, and this is the only good part of the news if you're in oil, is that uh, demand seems to be increasing. And they don't want, I don't think OPEC wants to let, you know, let a golden opportunity to make a whole shit ton of money fly out the window like a parakeet. So I think that's what's going on. Bond price is mostly down except for the 30-year treasury, which is up 0.001% with a yield of 2.36%. And everything else is down, but I mean, literally like three decimal places. So it's kind of like, meh. Now, real money, what's Bitcoin doing? $58,792.72. It looks like we have a low amount of transactions in the last 24 hours. Only 268,627 transactions performed. And that puts us right at 11,200 transactions being performed every hour on the hour on average. 
268,000 BTC have been sent in that 24 hour period. And the average cent per hour is 11,168 BTC. And the average transaction value of those is right at one BTC, while the median transaction value is 0.013 BTC or $744, which is quite low from the recent history. Nine minutes, 44 seconds. So we are low on the block time. Uh, blocks are getting 0.55 BTC in fees on a per block basis and 82 BTC have been taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. With a five and a half percent bump in hash rate, we are back up to 169.23 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin, 5.8 United States pennies, people. It looks like Elon is, has created a floor on the shittiest of all the shitty shitcoins in existence. There's your shitcoin indicator. Figure out what the rest of the shit, shitcoins are doing from there. Uh, 38,741 transactions are waiting to onboard 85 blocks to clear. We are back at $1.1 trillion of market capitalization, and that is 9.86% of gold's market cap. Only like just a hair under 10%. Uh, 34.2 ounces of gold is what you will get if you decide to convert and flip one of your Bitcoin. And there are, in fact, 18,674,305.08 BTC in circulation at this time, 1,187 of which are in the Lightning Network, and that is valued at just under $70 million of capacity. Run over 10,378 nodes that we can see with a total number of channels that we can see of 41,646. Tor capacity has increased yet again, this time by a damn good clip. And I think this is because things like Get Umbral are coming up and, uh, and, and new nodes that are coming up, are, their uh, defaults are set to Tor only. And hey, dude, that's good. That's 670.75 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and there are 4,541 Tor nodes that we know about somehow. I'm not sure how that works because it's supposed to be Tor, but whatever, I'll leave that to the likes of Matt O'Dell. That's gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. Of course, it's not really the morning, is it? So it's the afternoon roundup. Fearing being cut off from SWIFT, Russia hints about blockchain alternatives, as a report suggests. This one's out of Coindesk. Uh, who wrote this thing anyway? Oh, oh. Uh, Anya Betakova is the author behind this one. The development of blockchain and digital currency shows that in the future, global settlements might take place on a new technological platform rather than on the SWIFT payments network, said the deputy head of Russia's Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Alexander Pankin, talking to the RIA Novosti news agency on Monday. Pankin said future alternatives to SWIFT will be more advanced and not dependent up upon being a monopoly. The emergence of such alternatives will not only be a reaction to the current geopolitical situation, but a response to the need to modernize the existing payment methods using the top digital innovations, Pankin said. The statement comes after the country... Uh, the country's authorities voiced concerns recently that the Western countries might cut Russia off from SWIFT. In late March, the press secretary for Russia's President Vladimir Putin said the Kremlin cannot rule out that threat. Fears of Russia getting cut off SWIFT have been voiced over and over in Russia's ruling circles after the country got sanctioned in 2014 for annexing the Crimea Peninsula. Back then, the first round of sanctions prompted the creation of a national payment system that would be working even if SWIFT was no longer available in Russia. Those concerns apparently mounted further as the relationship between Russia and the West deteriorated this winter. After Putin's most vocal critic, Alexei Navalny, was first poisoned with a military-grade nerve agent, then imprisoned in Russia soon after he recovered. At the moment, Navalny is in a penal colony. According to him, Navalny has been denied necessary medical help and his health has worsened significantly. In a recent interview, U.S. President Joe Biden said he believes Putin is a killer. Dude. I don't know what, it, you didn't say that, I guess, but Putin's freaking ripped, bro. 
Have you seen that dude? He may be a killer, but that dude is ripped. Hong Kong Customs seizes 300 crypto mining GPUs in anti-smuggling operation. Marie Huliot is going to tell us about it from Cointelegraph. In the waters off Hong Kong International Authorities on Friday, Hong Kong Customs detected suspicious figures offloading cartons from a fishing boat to a nearby speedboat. While the men successfully fled, the authorities reportedly detained the fishing vessel and found a large batch of apparently smuggled goods, everything from dried shark fin and cosmetics to electronics. Notably among these goods, worth an estimated $31 million, were reportedly a stash of over 300 NVIDIA CMP 30HX graphics cards, which is the new line of GPUs dedicated to cryptocurrency mining, which NVIDIA released earlier this year in order to ensure that its other GPU hardware will remain primarily, you know, for use by gamers. Quote, to address the specific needs of Ethereum mining, we're announcing the NVIDIA CMP or cryptocurrency mining processor product line for professional mining, NVIDIA explained in mid-February. The CMP 30HX offers that we don't really give a shit. What's going on with the, with the seizure here, pal? Some have speculated that the smuggled cards were en route to China, where several regional authorities have made moves to prevent cryptocurrency mining operations, although no evidence exists to substantiate this claim just yet. Back in Hong Kong, the official announcement uh, indicates that 43-year-old owner of the fishing vessel has been arrested uh, with an investigation into the foiled operation ongoing under Hong Kong's import-export ordinance. Anyone found guilty of smuggling faces a maximum fine of $2 million in a jail term of no less than seven years. Dude's in trouble. Oh, man. So anyway, what's, all right. So yes, it, it's an Ethereum story, but it's important for mining in, 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 in general. This is just going to end up being part of the narrative of Bitcoin uses too much energy. And that's why that's why we need proof of stake, which is a bullshit narrative. You need proof of work. What you need to do is go figure out ways to use energy in a way that the, that the blue haired knuckle dragging fucking environmental troglodytes can't can't attack. They can't attack it. OK, one way to do that. And I'm just going to go ahead and pop the top right here because my good friend Untapped Growth lit it out on John Vicalis's, um show about this. Um, I've been thinking about the following situation for a very long time. And I might have mentioned it a long time ago. And that was when, you know, like less people than now actually listen to my show back then. So probably this will be new to you. Uh, I believe it will be profitable now and in the future to mine Bitcoin using wood that's right how how you may how, how the hell do you burn wood and produce electricity it's dude not only is it possible this shit is actually ancient technology understand this when you burn wood you're not burning wood just like when you light a candle on fire you're not burning the wick you're burning off the hydrocarbons that are becoming volatilized by the heat of reaction and by cannibalizing that wax as it goes up the wick and volatilize, oh, I can't pronounce it anymore. Making it volatile due to heat, the ongoing heat reaction continues the flow. Same thing when you make biochar. This is the way this works as I envision it. There's a company that makes a biochar unit that is continuous feed and it takes chopped wood. Where do you find a whole shit ton of chopped wood without going and mowing down the trees in the forest, which will, yes, probably be one of the, one of the things that people say we're doing. No, municipal green waste. What is it? Hey, if you've ever seen an orange truck with a tree, with a, you know, a, a big old wood chipper on the back of it and a weird unpronounceable word, that word is pronounced asplund, driving around your town, they are under contract with your city to pick up all the dead limbs that blow in the spring. You know, they, they either, you know, have to cut down, you know, tree limbs because they're interfering with power lines. But when you add all that up and you've got just a, a quarter million people, do you have any idea how much annual wood waste there actually is? It's a lot. It's a lot more than you think. 
And I didn't start thinking about this until I went out to my municipal dump ground and saw these big, massive piles of chipped wood just sitting there. And what this, you're supposed to do is get pickup trucks as a citizen and go grab wood mulch for free, but nobody does. So it piles up. It becomes a headache. And then the city has to pay for it to be incinerated. And there's nothing captured. None of the energy is captured and none of the carbon is captured. So in this system, in a biochar system, you burn wood in a very low oxygen environment. It produces two things. Biochar, which is just charcoal, but it's really good industrial grade or agricultural grade uh, carbon. Okay. There's not ash. It doesn't produce ash. It volatiles or volatilizes everything off, but it's not burning it either. Once you get the reaction started, you're able to capture a lot of heat and that heat keeps the reaction going. But the majority of what's produced, not the charcoal, but something called syngas is flammable. It's highly flammable in fact. And it, it, it consists of the following chemistries, a lot of VOCs, and that's a whole basket of things that, that can be volatile, volatilized. Methane, not a whole lot. It's actually kind of a tiny amount. A lot of carbon monoxide, and I think a little bit of uh, nitrous oxide, which when you mix all those together in, and inject it with like just regular air, put it into a generator and have that generator uh, creating electricity, the system I'm looking at has enough energy to continuously operate 24 hours a day because it's a continuous feed, continuously making biochar on one side and send gas to power an electric generator on the other side. That electrical generator obviously is going to be plugged into a shit ton of Bitcoin mining rigs. Now, how many will they run? I'm, run, I'm crunching the numbers now. I'm trying to figure out if the numbers work. I'm not, the numbers that I'm looking at right now actually say, shit, this is too good to be true. If you had millions of dollars, I would, if I did, if I had millions of dollars, I'd go ahead and buy the shit, all, all the shit that I need right now and work a deal out with my city and just say, look, I'll take care of your little problem for you. You tell all your other city buddies to send you all their wood waste. You charge them a tipping fee. I charge you X that's, you know, uh, just under their tipping fee so that they get a profit. I get a profit collecting the wood that I, you know, that I need to power the system and then make money selling biochar of ranchers and farmers because it's really good soil amendment and charge it on the cheap side for them. And it retain, helps retain water producing syngas, which produces electricity, which produces Bitcoin. There's no waste. There's no waste. And the only thing that comes out of the stack is CO2 and water. Telling you, man, we're going to, Bitcoiners are going to change the world for the better, whether you like it or not. I don't care what Greta Thunberg, whatever her name is. I don't care what she thinks. She was a little kid propped up by the establishment because you can't attack a child, right? So they, they found the perfect fucking mouthpiece in Greta. I don't care what she says. Bill Gates, that dude's straight up evil. That dude is straight up evil. He's looks like he's a little nice little guy when he eats ice cream cones with Warren Buffett, but make no mistake, that motherfucker is evil. Anything that we do as Bitcoiners to move Bitcoin needs to be done. Circular economy, finding out ways to mine Bitcoin, producing electricity, using things that are ultimately good for the environment. Putting charcoal in the ground is so good for the environment for a couple of reasons. One is for every gram of carbon that I can shove into the soil when it rains, it will soak up anywhere between five and nine times its own weight in water and hold on to it with a death grip, which means that your land won't suffer drought as much. The more you can put in, the less you will suffer drought. Also, it ends up being like a barrier reef for life critters in the soil. We've killed our soils. Everywhere I look, I see a chemistry set. We've destroyed our soils. Okay, so that living reef ends up being a place where bacteria, fungus, 
very small like microscopic critters can can like take up residence like an apartment and breed and have little kids and they go out into the soil and they do all the things that little soil bugs do which basically makes plants grow and as plants grow they take in more carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and where do they what do they do with it the majority of it actually gets put into the ground as root exudates and not in the crop you got to start thinking outside the box and for the final part of why carbon is good for the soil to shut these people up because once carbon is in the soil it will never get into the atmosphere again some people say it's a lifespan of 10,000 years i think it's more like 100,000 years but if it's in the soil it's not going to be available to burn off into the atmosphere it holds more water, which grows more plants, which plugs more CO2 back into the ground, which continues the cycle again. See untapped growth in what he's doing. We're all going to do this together, and it's going to be insane. People are, you're going to be happy, and you're going to be happy about it. I'm telling you, man. Let's see. What else do I got? Rant over, except I'll probably launch into another one because DeFi aggregator is rated by five hackers on launch day they didn't even wait they didn't even wait man they said oh just, again DeFi getting crippled right out of the gate here this is martin young writing it for coin telegraph fledgling decentralized finance protocol force dow force dow bitches has had a pretty rough start with several incursions from hackers taking place just hours after it launched the Ethereum-based scam aggregator, or oh, sorry, yield aggregator, had only just launched its airdrop campaign on April the 3rd when four malicious black hat hackers managed to drain a total of 183 Ethereum worth approximately $367,000 at the time. One friendly white hat hacker uh, uh, assisted the team by alerting them to prevent further losses. The team has released a post-mortem of the attacks and taken personal responsibility for what it terms as an engineering oversight. Yeah, get used to that shit. The post-mortem explains that the X-Force platform affected was a fork of the SushiSwap smart contract containing a mechanism to revert tokens in the event of failed transactions. The protocol describes X-Force as an interest-bearing version of force representing shares in its pool similar to how LP tokens work. A flaw in the contract used by ForceDAO enabled the attackers to exploit this mechanism to mint X-Force tokens, which were then withdrawn and exchanged for Ethereum on the markets. The team acknowledged that the attack would have been relatively easy to prevent. Quote, this could have been prevented by using a standard open Zeppelin ERC-20 or adding a safe transfer from wrapper in the ex-sushi contract. There's nothing more that needs to be said about this shit other than you got played again because apparently this time it was going to be different. And what was it? It was exactly the same as all the rest of these rug pulls. It's, if you want to lose your money, by all means, run into the next DeFi product that opens up. Just, you know, just give them everything that you have. Mortgage your house, your neighbor's house, go rob a bank, sell your car, start, I don't know, become a prostitute and a drug dealer all at the same fucking time so that you can go into DeFi so that this shit can happen to you. Why? Why am I ranting? Because this shit always happens. It's not like this one or two. No, it's like 10 and 100 and 150 times. We're up to like 75 at least, if not 80, since summer, since last summer. What, who is it that doesn't learn the lesson? What, do you, what does that person have to do? What experience do they have to have before they finally go, you know what? I'm just losing all my money. I think I'm just going to go buy Bitcoin. Honestly, just stop, dude. FinCEN names, oh God, a former Chainalysis executive as the acting director as Director Blanco resigns. So yeah, yeah, you Chainalysis, a Chainalysis executive. They're, you're, you're seeing the same shit. Okay, like the USDA, US Department of, United States Department of Agriculture basically has a revolving door with Monsanto, Bayer Crop Science, you name them. And they just basically, they just swap buddies like you're trading players on a baseball team. 
I'm seeing, I'm seeing this, I'm seeing the same attitudes. I'm seeing the same kind of uh, ge- geography pop up. So let's figure this one out. It's from Coindesk and Colin Harper's writing it. The Financial Crimes Enforcement Network just hired asshole former chief technical officer as its new acting director, a hire that reflects the federal government's increased interest in the growing cybersecurity sector, or sorry, sorry, cryptocurrency sector. Michael Mosier will assume the post on April the 11th following the departure of current director Kenneth A. Blanco, who announced his resignation. Blanco's tenure at FinCEN was marked by his stance that the burgeoning crypto industry is subject to existing regulations and as such does not require its own legal framework. Most recently, Mosier served as the counselor to the deputy secretary of the treasury, which he took on last month after having served as FinCEN's deputy director and first digital innovation officer. Joining Mosier is Annalou Tirol, the former associate director of FinCEN's strategic strategic operations division, who will now serve as FinCEN's deputy director. Before his jaunt as deputy secretary in his new job at FinCEN, Mosier was the chief technical officer at blockchain surveillance firm Chainalysis. Mosier held the position from June 2019 until February of 2020 when he joined FinCEN for the first time. FinCEN is a bureau of the U.S. Treasury, and it serves the U.S. financial intelligence units when they want to go after people. Established in 2014, Chainalysis uses public blockchain data to trace and de-anonymize cryptocurrency transactions for law enforcement, private companies, and government agencies. The company's software has been used by public and private entities to trace exchange hacks and pinpoint illicit transactions with the new bull market in cryptocurrencies, chain analysis, and its products have found favor with the United States federal and state agencies. Whoever is the friend of my enemy is my enemy. Mosier is my enemy. FinCEN is my enemy. Chain analysis is my enemy. None of these people are working to further humanity to its grandest and most logical conclusion to make things better. We've been forced to make everything bad from food to pollution. You're, if you're bitching about the climate, that's in there too. We're, we've forced, we, we have been forced by the society that we have created, the society that we fucking defend Believe me, I know I talk to people who, when I start railing about the United States government, think I'm anti-American and nothing could be further from the tooth. truth. Truth, the United States government hasn't been an American institution since 1913. There's nothing American about the United States federal government. Let that sink in. The whole world has been duped into believing that high time preference and debt-laden societies was the correct move. It was not. Low time preference will give you the environment that you want. I guarantee it. If you will just try to think about things completely differently, go read a book. Go read the book Tree Crops. Just read it. Even if you don't care about pecans, okay? Read the book and figure out what these people are trying to say. I'm reading Alan Savory's book right now, Holistic Management. It can be used in all manner of stuff to make things better. But what we got sold was a way for us to destroy everything about this existence. We only get to go around this thing once. And even the people that think that they're stupidly happy because they have a shit ton of money, I guarantee you in the back of their mind is an anxiety like a needle in the mind that will not go away. It will not go away. I guarantee you there's just, I was about to say Bill Gates, but he's an evil motherfucker anyway, so we don't need to worry about him. But like Michael Saylor, doesn't seem evil, total billionaire. He understands something's very, very, very wrong. And something is very wrong. And it all boils down to the fact that our system, all of it, legacy, legal, legacy, financial, legacy, agriculture, we, we screwed up. We did it the complete wrong way. I'm not going to get into, you know, European bashing, but most of the Western world was developed by the Europeans. And they had the shittiest idea of agriculture that you could have ever come up with. It's destroyed North America. It's destroying South America. It destroyed Australia. Australia's fucked. 
They didn't even have deep soils to begin with. And they put sheep on it, which, dude, you want to make a desert fast? Get goats. Did you want a desert? Because this is how you get deserts. You put goats on, on really shitty land and you make it even shittier because you're not watching what the hell you're doing. We know better now. We're going to fix this. It's not going to get fixed until well after my lifetime, but I'm going to be the beneficiary of changes right now. It won't all get fixed, but we're going to start. So go listen to the John Vicalis. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, John. I'm sorry if I'm not. The Bitcoin Rapid Fire podcast with uh, untapped growth. And uh, I I think he calls him Poof, his buddy Poof. Uh, which I think is Bitcoin and cows, but I'm not sure. If I got that all wrong, I'm really sorry. But go listen to that. Think about thinking about outside the box on mining, designing Bitcoin mining to where it cannot be attacked in the news. Because to do so would, like, what you hate putting carbon in soil. Look at what, all the good things that carbon does in soil. And since it's in soil, it's sequestered for 100,000 years. Why wouldn't you want that? See what I'm saying? We control the narrative. You cannot let them control the narrative. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.